This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Hiva. I hope everyone's doing really well on this beautiful May, Tuesday, May Day. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Is everyone else's favorite month also May? Or am I just biased? I just think, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, I think it's the best month. It's nice out, It's not too hot yet, but it's starting to really warm up. You still need a light jacket at night, which I appreciate, but it's warm and sunny during the days. Usually, hopefully, I don't know. I mean, this weekend was just atrocious, but, you know, today is stunning, gorgeous. And I don't know, there's just this excitement in the air, like you know summer is coming, which is just such a fun vibe. But it's also possible that I'm really biased because my birthday's in May, so I don't know. And also through years of school, I think I was conditioned to love May because we had exams in May, school ended in May. So, you know, it was just this kind of fun end of semester, beginning of freedom kind of vibes. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Just curious. Moving right along. I have not been getting the best sleep lately. Well, I sleep fine. The issue is I have a lot of dreams. Ever since last fall, I've been having really intense, really vivid dreams, and they're usually not bad. It's just very action-packed, like a lot is going on. But I've had this one reoccurring dream, and I don't read too much into dreams, to be completely honest. Like, I have a lot of kind of woo-woo tendencies and interests and whatever, but with the dreams, I think more often than not, they're just offshoots of random shit we've seen throughout the day that just kind of come up in our sleep and we're just processing through it. And I don't think there's much meaning or much of a story there. I mean, I often see have dreams that are kind of on theme with things that I've watched on TV. So, you know, I really don't read too much into it. However, I have had this dream maybe 20 times, maybe more. It's it's pretty intense. It's really it, the fact that it's so reoccurring. Now, the details are different every time, but the gist of it is the same. So that just leads me to believe that there is something there. There's something to it. 
So in this dream, basically what happens is I'll be dating someone in my dream. And sometimes it's an ex-boyfriend. Sometimes it's just people I've never seen or heard of before. And I'll be in a very serious relationship with them. But in my dream, I have this feeling of ick. Like, I just am not that into this person, which I have to say is a feeling I've had a lot in my life in relationships where I'll be dating someone and I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm even into them or I'm really questioning things. Anyway, so I kind of have that feeling in the dream, but it's almost like I'm just settling. I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm in my 30s. This is what it is. It's fine. Like there was one dream where I was engaged. There was one dream where I was moving in with someone. Like they're all pretty serious relationships, but I really feel uncomfortable. And then at some point during the dream, I just kind of have this moment where I'm like, wait, no, I don't think this is who I'm dating. Like, I don't think this is how I feel in my relationship. Like I have this kind of weird distant memory of actually dating someone that I'm so into. Like, who is it? Like, I just feel like this was the one area of my life that I feel really, really good about right now. But it just, it's such a distant, hazy, fuzzy thing. And then as the dream progresses and kind of as I get closer to waking up, I remember I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, I'm dating Ozzy. I'm dating Ozzy. Oh, thank God I'm dating Ozzy. Every time, like as I'm waking up, I'm like, oh, thank God. I knew like I wasn't in this relationship that I feel so icky about. And then I wake up and I'm really happy and relieved. Now, the first few times I thought it was just maybe trying to remind me to be grateful for my relationship, especially as I'm feeling so unsure about so many other things in my life. I'm like, okay, this is the one area of my life that I really feel solid and good about. But I've had the dream so many times now that I just have a hard time believing that that's all it is. And I can't put my finger on it, but the feeling of settling comes to mind And it reminds me of how much I have historically settled in relationships. And, you know, now I'm in a very different dynamic where, you know, I really don't feel like I'm settling at all. Like it's the first time where I'm really not like constantly questioning the relationship. And that does feel really good. And I mean, I don't know. The only thing I can come up with is maybe it's trying to tell me, I say I have a feeling it's not about relationships at all. I think maybe it's trying to show me that maybe in the other areas of my life, the parts that I'm feeling so unsure about, maybe I need to not settle in those and be patient and wait for the real deal to come along like I did in my romantic life. I don't know. But if anyone listening has any sort of dream expertise hit me up. Would love to hear your take. Um, I really am kind of fascinated by it. Again, like I don't get too into it, but this is happening so often that it's kind of hard to ignore. Also, just a random dream I had last night. This is not a reoccurring thing, although it's happened a few times. I had a dream within a dream. That's happened to me several times, but specifically the dream I had within a dream was a sex dream. And so in my dream, in my dream, I um, was like trying to solve pleasure. 
to my sex dream, but I couldn't have an orgasm, presumably because I'm like two layers deep within a dream, you know, just very Inception style, like Inception meets um, porno. I don't know. <laughs> and, um, and so then I wake up from the second dream. So I'm still in my dream. Is any of this making sense or do I just sound like a crazy person? I don't know. Anyway, so I'm still in the first dream and I'm like trying to masturbate because I was super turned on from the sex dream that I was having in my dream. <laughs> and, then, and like all these people are around him like, yeah, I don't care. I just... I need to get this done. And then I wake up. So from the second dream, so like from all the dreams, like I'm now awake. <laughs> and again, I'm just very like, mm, I need a few minutes to self-pleasure. And Ozzy's like, what are you doing? I was like, just don't talk to me for a minute. Like I, there's a lot going on. I'm very confused. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's it on dreams. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, seriously, if anyone knows anything about dreams, hit a girl up. I'm very, very curious. Okay, uh, moving right along to something else. I, like many of you presumably, have been watching bits and pieces of the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial. It is absolutely fascinating. I have to say, it really... It really puts all of my toxic relationships into perspective because at least it's not that. Um, I have to say, I haven't watched any of it ever since her team is putting on their presentation. So, you know, when the plaintiff goes, you tend to be a little bit skewed towards the plaintiff because obviously they're putting their best foot forward. So, I mean, who knows? My view could shift now. It does seem like the entire world is on Johnny Depp's side. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, he's a famous movie star. He's so beloved. People have, you know, long time had huge crushes on him. I don't know if it's just because he's a man and as a society, we do tend to agree with men or if it's because he's actually right. Now, the fact that he is pressing charges does seem to be it seems to help, right? It's not because it's not the case that he's on trial for domestic abuse. He is pressing charges for defamation. So that kind of like, it just seems like if he actually was abusing her, why would he put himself on trial in that situation? Right. But I mean, who knows? Um, you know, it definitely is a little bit unsavory to not take the side of a woman who is claiming that she's abused at the same time. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's all a shit show and I'm not here to make judgments. It's a very heavy topic. I bring it up because of one very specific thing. One of my personal favorite parts of the trial, and I know one part that a lot of people found really, really interesting, was when Johnny Depp's team had on a psychologist who was basically psychoanalyzing Amber Heard. She was fascinating, very well-spoken. It was very interesting. And she was basically explaining how Amber Heard seems to meet the criteria of both borderline personality dis disorder and histrionic personality disorder. And it reminded me of this thing that I think I have, and I've coined it mental health hypochondria. So basically, my entire life, 
anytime I hear the symptoms or description for any mental health condition, anyone at all, I'm like, oh, I definitely have that. And as you can imagine, this was not a fun thing for my actual psychologist that I saw for like nine years to deal with. Because, okay, first of all, borderline personality disorder was my biggest one that I would always harp on. And he's like, yeah, you just don't have it. Like, I don't know what to tell you, but you just don't habit. And um, the way that he was actually really able to kind of convince me was he said that um, the like American Psychology Institute or whatever it's called has limitations on the number of borderline personality disorder patients that each therapist can take on because they tend to be such difficult patients. Like they're so demanding. They might call out of the blue. They just, it's so difficult and draining to deal with for the mental health professional that there's a cap as to how many BPD patients they can have. And so when I heard that, I was like, okay, in all fairness, I will say I really don't think that I make your life that difficult. Like I'm never calling out of the blue. I'm never, you know, uh, like suddenly demanding of time and attention. Like I really, by and large, am pretty chill as a patient. So I guess that's kind of convincing. But of course, listening to that testimony in the trial, I was like, this describes me to a T. <laughs> and then she goes on to histrionic personality disorder. I was like, yep, have that one too. <laughs> but I don't know what it is. I mean, there were there was a time, I'm not even joking, there was an article in the Washington Post. I think this was when I was in law school, about this man, this homeless man who went to Harvard Law School. And um, so like obviously super smart guy, got a job at a law firm, and then things in his life just started falling apart because he had paranoid schizophrenia. Eventually, I mean, it's a very, very, very hard mental illness with for families to deal with. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. And it's it's not that the family doesn't care about you. It's just at some point it's so hard to deal with that eventually a lot of people with paranoid schizophrenia end up becoming kind of estranged from their families. Um, so he ends up becoming homeless, yada, yada. I'm not going to walk you through the whole article. But what really stuck out to me is this man went to law school, had a law firm job, and then, you know, this mental health condition kind of presented itself. So as you can imagine, I was like, boom, I have paranoid schizophrenia. <laughs> So I show up to my therapist's office next week and I was like, I think I have paranoid schizophrenia. And he's like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't even know how to start with you today. Walk me through this. So I walk him through the thing and I was like, I was reading the symptoms and this sounds exactly like me. And he's like, okay. <sighs> A, it does not sound exactly like you. Like, I just don't know what to say. B, there were definitely signs in this man before he reached that point that people were just missing. And I was like, okay, but like, would she be able to see these signs in me in an hour a week? And he's like, yes, I absolutely would. So he talks me off the ledge. And then maybe a week or two later, maybe a few months, who knows, at some point later, my best friend's boyfriend 
had a manic episode and um, it's like a very, very long story, but eventually they were able to diagnose him with bipolar disorder. His sister has it also, his mom likely also has it. And um, his again surfaced a little bit later in life. It happened after his grandmother died. So I guess that kind of triggered it. So as you can imagine, I roll up to therapy and I'm like, bipolar disorder. And he's like, oh my God, I quite literally hate you. Like, why do we spend time talking about phantom mental illnesses that you don't have when instead we could be talking about the eating disorder that you do have? Nevertheless, he has to entertain this whole crazy quest. And he's like, again, there were signs and symptoms that his family was missing that I would be able to catch in you. You don't have this mental health condition. Anyway, I'm really sharing this for no particular reason. I guess, A, in case you, like me, have the same thing where you just constantly think you have various types of mental health conditions that people insist that you don't have, and B, just for a bit of a chuckle. But I guess, I don't know, it does kind of point to something deeper where I wonder if maybe part of me wants some kind of diagnosis because I don't know in a weird way does having a diagnosis make you feel more at ease like oh okay I'm not like unexplained crazy I have a personality disorder now we know how to tackle it but at the end of the day does the diagnosis really make that big of a difference like let's say you can attach some kind of label to it okay then what? You know, you're kind of still in the same boat. So yeah, I don't know. Moving right along. <laughs> so I've been watching a ton of TV lately. And, um, you know, per usual, that's just my thing. Number one, I have a recommendation. It's a show called Shining Girls. It's so good. It's on Apple TV. There are four episodes out so far. It's the type of show where you do have to pay attention, which is not, you know, a strong suit of mine in watching television. I usually like to do 12 things at once, um, but it's so good. It's one of those shows that I think kind of like plays with space and time. It's fascinating. Um, Elizabeth Moss is in it. I think that's her name. I could be wrong. Uh, the woman who was in um, the advertising show show what's it called Mad Men um she's also in uh Handmaiden's Tale um she's a Scientologist she actually recently did an interview where she was like yeah I just really feel like Scientology is misunderstood um we're not actually like unwelcoming to outsiders or something to that effect and it's like mm, but that's never been the criticism of Scientology like no one has ever been like oof we don't like those Scientologists they're so unwelcoming to outsiders like that's not once been the criticism so like way to create a straw man argument where you're just you know defending a position that was never stated <laughs> but yeah it's a really really good show 10 out of 10 recommended please please watch it so I have someone to talk to about it because no one I know watches it um, also I rewatch Friends constantly and there was an episode that I was rewatching 
recently where Chandler had just gone through a breakup. I believe he um, had just broken up with Kathy, who was Joey's girlfriend once. And anyway, so he had just gone through this breakup and he's like going through stages of mourning. And um, according to the guys, there's like a phase in the grieving process where you like go to a strip club and you like want to see naked girls again and so the girls go to the strip club with them because the guys are busy or something or out of town or whatever it doesn't really matter anyway as I was watching it I was just reflecting on how far we have come as a society like I feel like when Friends was on TV it was actually a really progressive show I mean I think it had the first ever televised lesbian wedding you know everyone was kind of cool with homosexuality you know, the girls are sexually active and very open about it. It was a really progressive show for its time, but we have come so far. Like in rewatching it, I think there are so many homophobic jokes, like so many homophobic jokes. Like it's actually kind of disgusting how prevalent it is. Like it just references to the guys like maybe being quote unquote gay. Like, I mean, they, they'll never say like, oh, that's so gay, but there's just references that make it that send the implication that there's something wrong with homosexuality or even the way Ross's ex-wife being a lesbian is handled. There's often this implication of like, Ooh, Ross, what did you do to, you know, make her date women instead of like, no, this is just who she is and we should celebrate her finally coming into her own. So yeah, we've progressed a lot. And this episode also made that clear to me because I feel like the whole strip club scene was just so sexist and so like misogynistic really. And again, this is a show that was progressive for its time and it wasn't even that long ago. So I don't know. There are so many issues with the world. Like I really cannot downplay that. And I mean, good God, in the past week, are we seeing issues and backwardsness in this country, in our politics, and in, you know, the way that men want to control women. Nevertheless, I do think we should take a moment to celebrate how far we've come in that we can rewatch a show like this and recognize all of the really problematic humor in it. And I don't think a show you know, in the Friends area nowadays would ever do those things. I also have been rewatching Office. I mean, I'm just in a constant state of rewatching Office. And um, I actually started listening to this podcast, not to plug other podcasts, <laughs> but here we are. It's called Office Ladies, and it's by... Um, I don't know their names, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, something like that. Um, Angela and Pam from The Office. And basically, it's uh, they rewatch the show and it's one episode at a time and they kind of give like behind the scenes information. It's really, really interesting. So I just discovered it. Um, I just started listening to it and I was listening to this episode about Secret Santa, and they said that the origins of Secret Santa actually date back to this one man who was really poor when he was growing up, and then, and one day he was super, super hungry, and so he goes to, like, a diner, and he gets a burger, 
knowing that he couldn't pay for it. And when the check comes, he pretended he lost his wallet. And the waiter goes, oh, sir, look, I think you dropped this $20 bill and gives it to him so he could pay and save face and stuff. And the guy, when he leaves the diner, kind of figures out what the waiter had done. Later in life, he becomes really rich and he tracks down this waiter and gives him $100. And then every Christmas season, he would just walk around giving $100 bills to people. And I think the New York Times or some other major publication wants to write an article about him, and he asked to remain anonymous because, you know, it's just his charity. He didn't want to bring spotlight to himself. He wanted to stay anonymous. And that was the origins of Secret Santa. So just a little random heartwarming story. Okay, moving right along to what we actually have planned for today. Um, I noticed that there were a couple of voicemails that I never played or responded to, so we'll do that. And I have a few more questions that I got, so we're going to do a fun little Q&A session. So without further ado, here's the first voicemail. And just a quick reminder, you can leave a voicemail if you want it played on the show or if you don't want it played on the show, whatever. There's a link in the show notes to do so. It's fun. You can hear yourself. Anyway, without further ado, here's the first voicemail. Hey, blushies. I'm calling to say I love the podcast, love the positive energy and the great topics and the mix of fun and seriousness. Um, Today, I wanted to call and ask about advice for salvaging a toxic relationship. Um, You know, when there's been a lot of toxicity and gaslighting, but it's someone that you want to try to salvage the relationship. How do you go about airing your grievances, feeling hurt? Obviously, this would be through probably a therapy setting, but struggling to um, think through how I would express all of those things. So if you have any suggestions, journal activities, or you know any of those tools that you suggested in the past, I would love to get your thoughts on just how to air those grievances to the other person so that you can try to move forward. Okay, first of all, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the kind words. Second, I just want to say that I'm so sorry that you're even dealing with this. It sounds like a very heavy situation, and so I do want to say that before I get into anything. Now, I really think that before you even talk to this person, you need to get very, very clear within yourself. And you might think that you are. I mean, it sounds like you are, but I just want to pose some things. So I would maybe journal or talk out loud into a voice note, but actually answer all of these questions. First off, what has this person done? You mentioned toxicity and gaslighting. How exactly are they toxic? What have they done that's toxic? How are they gaslighting you? Get very, very clear and very specific. Why does this bother you? Like, obviously, this should bother you. I'm not questioning the fact. I just mean get very specific. Like, how does it make you feel? Could you give the feeling a color, a texture? Where in your body do you feel it? I know this sounds really, really silly, but honestly, answering these questions really helps you process. And then, and this is so important, does this remind you of anything from the past? 
I can almost guarantee if something challenging is coming up in adulthood, it's mirroring something from childhood. So if you can get to the roots of what that is and address that situation, it'll help you show up more clearly and more fully in this dynamic now. So once you do all that, but still before you talk to the person, I would do this exercise that again might feel a little bit silly, but trust me, just do it. Write out a letter to this person, but it's a letter that you would never deliver. Air out every single thing. Be ruthless. Be harsh. You can cuss at them. You can say, fuck you. You can say whatever. Just get it all out on paper. Afterwards, I would probably burn it. Like be as ruthless as possible and then burn it so there's no evidence of this ever having happened. This exercise is just intended to get the charge out of it. Then it might be helpful for you to just close your eyes, you know, take a few deep breaths, get in a bit of a meditative state, and then picture them apologizing to you. And really owning everything that they've done, saying, you know, I'm so sorry I did this. I recognize how toxic this is. I recognize that when I said X, Y, and Z, that's actually a form of gaslighting. I'm so sorry I've hurt you. I'm so sorry that this has been weighing on you and just really sincerely apologizing to you. Again, this might feel silly, But I find that doing that exercise actually really helps me show up to a conversation with a much more open heart, which is something that you really want to have in any sort of conversation, especially if you're hoping to save the relationship. Okay, now that you've gone through all that, you can actually get to the conversation. And this part is frankly kind of simple. Like the only things I would say is, One, make sure that the other person has space for the conversation. You might want to ask them when would be a good time for a chat. Use I language rather than you, not you're gaslighting me, blah, blah, blah. More like, you know, I feel like I'm going crazy because blah, blah, blah. You know, I feel like my feelings are being dismissed. You know, use I language and give concrete, clear examples, which is why, you know, you have to do all of that work ahead of time also, because also some of what you're feeling is on you and not them. Now, I'm not saying they did nothing wrong. I'm sure they've done plenty wrong. But once you go through all that beginning stuff, you can see what you can take ownership of. And While we're at it, I think it's really helpful in these conversations to take ownership for whatever you can while also not wavering on what you need. And that's a bit of a dance, but that's why there's so much prep work ahead of time. Um, You know, don't be accusatory. Sandwich harsher things in between nicer things. It's called a shit sandwich. So basically nice thing less nice thing. And then nice thing, it just makes it go down a bit easier. Be prepared to listen. And on listening, I would use the Amogo technique where if they are speaking, repeat what they said back to them just to make sure that you got it right. Because I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in where I've misunderstood the other person or the other person has misunderstood me and things just go haywire. So yeah, that's all of my tips, but really the takeaway here is that 
90% of my advice is actually internal. The conversation itself, like here's the thing, you could go into the conversation knowing the best communication tactics, being really firm, yada, yada, but that conversation is going to go nowhere until you do the inner healing first. So that's why I suggest digging into it, you know, really getting clear on how you're feeling, what you're feeling, what you need, what this is echoing, what this is mirroring from childhood, addressing those childhood wounds first, and then going to the other person because it's going to go down so much better. Sending you so much love. If you use any of this advice, call back and give us an update or DM me, give me an update, whatever. Would love to hear more about this. Love you. Thank you for listening. Okay, on to the next voicemail. Hi, I just wanted to call and say how much I love the podcast. I bake all day, so it's nice to have like a fun conversation going on to feel like I'm part of. Um, I did have one topic that I was wondering if you could talk about, and that was just, you know, like as we get older and we're in relationships and they get serious, like how do you manage that along with keeping your friendships with your friends going and making sure you make time for them? And then also like balancing, you know, when you have a group of friends and everyone has a significant other and you want them to like the significant others to all get along as well, how can you make that happen if you have any tips on making that work um but yeah love your podcast and keep up the great work again thank you so much for listening thank you for your kind words okay so it is so tempting when you're in a relationship in a new good relationship to get really absorbed in it I struggle with this too, primarily because I just want a lot of alone time. So when I'm like, you know, dating someone and we're hanging out all the time, when we're not together, I just want to be alone. That's all I want. So it can be hard to balance that with also maintaining your friendships. So I would recommend in general for a new relationship, especially if you're someone who has a tendency to get a little bit absorbed in your relationships or like move kind of fast or whatever, I would recommend having kind of a rule with yourself to have two days apart, two days or two nights or whatever, just kind of independent of your partner so that you can make sure you're meeting your needs. You can, you know, have some alone time if that's the type of person you are and also have time with your friends. You know, it can be hard when you're all absorbed in those like dopamine feelings. I mean, new love chemically is like a drug in the brain. It's it's exciting, it's exhilarating, but it's also kind of addictive. So it's really, really hard to separate yourself. But if you're able to build in that time for yourself and time apart, it actually makes your relationship so much stronger. Also, I would make sure that you're checking in on your friends. 
I think in adult friendships, it's often so much less about actually hanging out and so much more about just like texting, asking questions, staying involved in their lives. I mean, do you know what's going on with them? Are they dating? Like, who are they dating? What's going on in their dating lives? Uh, you know, if they're partnered, what's going on in their relationships? What are they working on at work? Like, what are they, you know, struggling with in the moment? If you can't answer these questions, then it might be a good time to just check in with your friends and see what's going on and ask really specific questions like, oh, how are things going at work? You know, how are things going with your boyfriend? Blah, blah. If they're in a relationship, you can kind of bond over like funny relationship things. Like me and one of my best friends, we have this ongoing series where we're just texting each other like really dumb things that our partners do and just laughing about like how stupid men are. <laughs> no offense. Um, but you know, just like find something to keep your bond alive. Make sure you're checking in on them. Also, just kind of a random suggestion that popped in my head. I think what might be good for you specifically is to do the 21 day like nice text challenge. Um, I talk about this in the episode called Five Scientifically Proven Ways to Feel Happier. Happier. Um, so for 21 days straight, first thing in the morning before you do anything else, write a two-minute text message or email or DM or whatever to someone in your life who you love and appreciate and, you know, has had some kind of positive effect on your life. So, I mean, 21 days is a lot. 21 people is a lot. So, you know, I ended up doing it to like people I kind of talked to on Instagram or things like that. It, they weren't like, you know, my best friends who I love, but that might just be a good way to force you to reach out to people on a more consistent basis and make it a habit. Also studies show that if you do it for 21 days straight, you feel much happier. I can't remember all the statistics, but go back and listen to that episode. It's a really, really good one. Okay. As for the group hangout situation. I actually have one very concrete piece of advice here. So find common ground that your partner shares with your friends or your friend's partners and highlight it to them. So for example, if let's say you have a friend called Mindy, right? And you, Mindy's boyfriend and your partner are both really into the Eagles, then both of you should go home and be like, oh my God, blah, blah's um, partner is really into the Eagles. And you would go to your partner and be like, Mindy's boyfriend is really into the Eagles. And then that way, when you guys hang out, they already know that they have this thing in common and they'll be interested to meet each other. Studies show that we are more likely to like someone if we have a preconceived notion that the other person likes us, and more specifically, if we have something in common. So putting in this legwork, if you highlight the common ground ahead of time, your partners will enter the situation already feeling a sense of ease and comfort. So that'll make them automatically like each other more and create more of a cohesive cohesive group dynamic. 
So yeah, that's my two cents. This honestly sounds like the dream to me. I mean, all I've ever wanted was kind of um, going back to friends, that type of like friends life where like my friends are all friends with, you know, my boyfriend and my boyfriend's friends with my friends. And like, we all have like, you know, this group that's all kind of cohesive and together. So yeah, good luck on that. Okay. I got another question. Um, no voicemail for this one, but a submission on the website actually, which just to highlight real quick, if you want to submit questions anonymously, you can do that on the website. There's a form. I think it's theblushpod.com slash connect. Um, I believe that's it, but it, if that's not it, you can just go to theblushpod.com and you'll be able to navigate to it. So this person said, do you have any tips for getting over a breakup? So here's the thing. A breakup is like any other form of grief. And you actually have to go through all of the stages of grief. I don't remember what all of them are, but I think it's like denial, anger, sadness, something, something eventually leads to acceptance. But the thing is, you tend to not go through the stages of grief in a linear way. You might bounce around. In my personal hardest breakup, I was stuck in the denial stage for a really long time. Like I kept thinking that we were going to get back together, which essentially is a form of denial. It might be different for you. It might not be different for you. I don't know. I mean, when I broke up with Van Guy. I went through the denial stage while we were still together because I was just denying that I wanted to break up. And then as soon as I got past that, I was able to break up with him and then go through the rest of the stages. But if you are stuck in the denial stage, if there's part of you that still thinks like we're meant to be together, this is my soulmate, this is my twin flame, we've been through so much together, you know, we've had so many fights, we'll bounce back, we, I want to work on things, I think he'll come around or whatever. If you're stuck in this stage, which uh, is truly the hardest place in the world to be, I have an exercise that I would recommend. Take out your journal and for three pages, write stream of consciousness. So like nonstop, ideally the pen should not stop moving. I want you to write about all of the things that you did not like about your ex and your relationship. And if you're having a hard time coming up with things, get petty. What did you not like about their looks? What did you not like about their mom? What did you not like about the way their voice sounds? I don't know. But you'll be like, even in the best of relationships, you should be able to talk about things that you don't like about the other person. So this is not an impossible task. I would also start making a list of all of the things that you do want in a partner, not within that three pages. That three pages is just for grievances of this relationship. Separately, I would start to curate a list of things that you do want in a partner and you do want in a relationship. And as you're making that list, kind of observe where your last partner fell short. Because again, even the best of relationships, they say probably only meets 80% of what you're looking for. I would also recommend completely cutting off contact for at least one month. 
This includes checking their social media, checking old pictures, old texts. Honestly, like it's so tempting to want to be friends after a breakup, but I don't think you can ever really truly be friends until both of you have fully moved on. And that usually involves having entered and often entered and exited another romantic dynamic. So for one month, challenge yourself to just not speak to this person at all. Don't check their social media. Just don't. Just completely cut off. Instead, use that time and energy and space to invest in a new hobby. It's a good distraction And it could yield to something really beautiful and new in your life. I mean, a lot of the best like businesses, brands, et cetera, that I know of have actually come out of heartbreak. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Arielle Charnas. She has um, the brand Something Navy. So she's like this mega, mega, mega fashion influencer who started a fashion blog and it just really took off and then, you know, became this like mega influencer on Instagram and now has her own fashion label all as a result of it. She started her blog when she was going through a breakup and was just super heartbroken. That's when she started her blog. So I don't know if that's kind of inspiring for you, but just throw yourself into something that you either like have always wanted to try and you think is like kind of fun. Like when I was going through a breakup with Van Guy, I started boxing because I'd just seen it around. I thought it was fun. Maybe there's something, you know, like that you've seen that you think is fun that you'd be interested in trying Or, you know, there's something you've always deep down wanted to do, but you just never did it or whatever. Just see what tickles your fancy and throw yourself into that. Okay, once you're past the denial stage, things get a lot easier. A hard breakup is a lot like a rock bottom moment. And the best way that we come out of them is really a combination of time and conscious work. And I don't think one without the other does it. I think you can do all of the work on yourself and do all of the processing, but you also need time. And I also think all the time in the world is not going to help you come out of this in the best way possible if you're not actually doing some inner work. The breakups that I've gone through that I've grown the most from are the ones where I really did inner work. I looked at all of my own patterning and the relationship and the things that I did wrong and where there was really room for growth. I worked with a therapist to do a lot of inner child healing because, you know, the wounds from our childhood are what plays out in our adult romantic relationships. It may be tempting to want to start dating immediately or to just, you know, go out and party. I've certainly had breakups like that, you know, in my early 20s where I exit the relationship and I'm like, ooh, I just want to like go out and have fun with my friends. And that feels really good in the moment. It numbs the pain. It dulls the pain. You don't have to face it. You can just ignore it. The thing is, if you really want to up-level out of your current dynamic, I would recommend that you not numb the pain. When I think back on my hardest breakup, it would have been so much easier if I'd just gone out partying or, or started dating. 
But I can tell you, I wouldn't be the person that I am today if I hadn't sat with the pain. Now, am I like the best person ever? No, but I can tell you I'm a lot fucking better of a person now than I was before that breakup. And when I think about, you know, those early 20s dynamics where I immediately started going out, guess what happened? I would keep entering the same type of relationship because I hadn't healed yet. I hadn't hurt, learned my lesson yet. And I've seen this with so many friends of mine, the friends of mine who immediately after a breakup start dating or start partying or like do whatever to just numb the pain. They keep entering into the same type of toxic dynamic. So I would really take a beat, do the inner work while also investing like I think a new hobby is a good type of distraction versus a numbing type of distraction. And I'm not saying be a complete hermit and never leave the house. Definitely don't do that. But don't just use it as an escape either. At the end of the day, I think the more that you put into this now and the more that you allow yourself to really sit with the pain and work through it and go through the stages of grief and not rush anything while also actively working on it, the better it'll be in the long run because you'll come out of this a better person and your next relationship will be so much better. Sending you so much love. I know breakups suck. Like, Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it can be really, really hard. Um, you know, if any of this inspires you, if you take any of this advice again, please, please reach out. Would love to hear how things unfold. I can't wait for you to fully come out of this, you know, just sprout your wings like, uh, butterfly. I don't know what I'm saying. Coming out of a cocoon. I don't know. Anyway, I know that if you follow even some of this advice, your next relationship is going to be so much better than the last one. And I really cannot wait to hear about it. The next question I got is, I tend to be very ruled by my emotions and can get so caught up in them that I have a hard time coming back to my baseline when the pendulum swings so hard in either direction particularly on the negative side, things like anger, fear, panic, etc. Can you share some tips or strategies on how to better regulate intense emotional responses and how to recenter myself when I do experience them? Okay, so first off, I can totally relate. <laughs> In fact, this is probably part of why I constantly think I have borderline personality disorder. Because, yeah, it's not the easiest thing. I do have some advice. So number one, the very first step here is to actually give yourself space to feel what you're feeling. According to neuroscientists, emotions really only last for 90 seconds if we allow ourselves to fully feel them. So give yourself a couple of minutes to actually just feel the feelings and not resist them. Just love. Feel it fully in your body, and then that intensity will just automatically go away. So once you do that, then you can get to recentering. If the emotion is really heavy, I would recommend, you know, after the 90 seconds to two minutes of just feeling it, I would recommend either freehand journaling or talking out loud into a voice memo, whatever appeals to you more, on everything that you're feeling. So I would answer these questions. What am I feeling? Who who am I feeling it towards? 
Where in my body do I feel it? What color does it have? How does it feel? Why do I feel like this? Again, these questions might seem kind of basic, but answering them really helps you kind of process. You know, it's similar to an answer I gave to an earlier question, but really the more we can get comfortable describing our feelings and our emotions, the easier it is to work through them. Again, this is a bit of a theme here, but ask yourself, when and where have I felt this before? And if there is an earlier memory that comes to mind, start addressing that. So once you have the feeling and investigated it via journaling or talking, then you can start actually moving through the feeling. Depending on what the actual emotion is, the approach is going to be a little bit different. You generally want to do kind of what's opposite to what you're feeling. So, okay, for example, anger is a very charged emotion. And the first step to moving through anger really is to release some energy. Because the thing with anger is that it gives us a ton of energy. And until you get that energy out, you really can't move through it. I know a lot of people who like to run when they're angry um, or other forms of intense exercise. Um, I remember to bring it back to breakups when I went through my breakup with the band guy and I went through a stage where I was kind of angry towards him. I actually took up boxing and um, that kind of really helped me release some of that anger. Uh, a lot of people like to scream into a pillow. I've tried this, love it. It also involves not exercising, which is another thing that I personally love. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, like if the emotion you're feeling is fear, then you want to self-soothe. Like what creates a sense of safety for you? It might be hugging yourself. It might be a warm bath. It might be sitting in front of a mirror and repeating mantras or telling yourself you love yourself. Uh, you know, it might be certain scents, it might be certain types of comfort food, although a quick asterisk here, if you're someone who has a history of using food to kind of like suppress your emotions or numb from your emotions, then maybe don't do that one. You know, it might be like EFT or tapping. If you're feeling grief or sadness, that's kind of the opposite of anger in terms of energy, like where anger is really charged and you need to release energy. Grief is kind of the opposite side of the same coin. It lacks energy. So you might benefit from doing something like breath work, a light walk, or, you know, doing something creative like art, music, whatever. I would really recommend listening to the last episode with Mary Neary. Um, she talks about building your own self-care toolkit. Like we really have to find the things that work for us individually. It could be meditation. It could be exercise. It could be walking. It could be, you know, beauty rituals like a face mask or a bubble bath or the, going to a spa or getting a massage. It could be uh, you know, painting, drawing, playing music, listening to music, dancing, reading, you name it. There's a whole like slew of things, you know, uh, sometimes when I'm in the mood 
uh, tapping or EFT really brings me out of it. If you don't know what that is, anyone listening, DM me, I can explain it. I can do like a quick tutorial video for you on how to do it. You really have to figure out what it is for you and have those tools in your toolkit so that when these emotions come up, you know what to do. But the general formula, just to summarize, is step one, let yourself feel the feeling. Step two, investigate the feeling by really identifying it, asking the who, what, when, where, why, whether it's journaling or talking out loud. Step three, look into any connections to the past. You know, I have said this like four million times this episode, but the things that come up in our adult life usually mirror things that have happened in childhood. And then step four, after going through all that is the self-care toolkit, whatever it may be. And that's the part that, you know, varies person to person. But those first three steps, I think, are so universal and I think are so important. Okay, the last question for today. It's a bit of a lighter, fun one. Hi, I remember you saying you used to slide into people's DMs. What do you say? Okay, so yes, I did used to slide into DMs all the time. I've had two full-blown serious relationships from sliding into DMs. I've also like met a ton of people, yada, yada, through sliding into DMs. I 10 out of 10 recommend it. Um, okay, I think the best opening thing, the best, easiest approach is if they are sharing on their stories to reply to one of their stories. Don't use one of those emoji reactions. Use actual words. Preferably ask a question related to what they posted about. So like if they have, you know, um, a photo of a hamburger in their stories, don't just do like the reaction heart or don't send like a drooling face emoji or something like that. Also, don't be like, hey, how are you? In fact, let me just say this right now. I think you should avoid the hey, how are you when sliding into DMs unless like you have a blue check in front of your name, in which case you can do anything you want. But um, generally, I would avoid that. I would lead with something that creates conversation. So let's say they have a hamburger in their stories. I would be like, oh, my God, that looks so good. Where did you get it from? What are the topics? Was it good? You know, a million possible questions that one could ask about that hamburger. So if they have stories, that's the easiest approach. If they do not have stories, then look at their Instagram profile and look at something that they've posted on their profile, like on their feed, and DM and ask a question, preferably about something that they've posted. Uh, again, for example, let's say this is a someone who posts a lot about workouts. I mean, I'm really just coming up with these examples, right? So they have a post about weightlifting. DM them and ask them a question about weightlifting that was not answered in the caption. If there's someone who's not really active on Instagram, then you're going to have to get a little bit more creative. So if this is someone that you know from somewhere or something, like, I don't know, they're a podcaster, a writer, an actor, a coach, a speaker, a thought leader, whatever, then comment or preferably ask about something that they do. So 
for example, um, okay, let's say you wanted to DM me. Let's say someone wanted to slide into my DMs, you know, <laughs> um, like a really easy way to get me to start engaging in conversation would be to ask me something about the podcast, um, ask me something about like vegan food, um, vegan recipes, vegan substitutions, like, hey, what's the best vegan cheese? I'll talk about that for days, you know, or ask me something about nutrition. So if you know them from something, then you know a little bit about them. You know what they can talk about. So ask them a question that'll get them going. If none of these situations apply, then here's the thing. A, like, why do you even want to strike up conversation? Like at that point, this is someone you don't know and they're not posting on Instagram. Like I just, I'm not fully certain why you're trying to DM them at all. Like I guess maybe they have like two posts of themselves and they look good. I would just ask something abstract. A location or geography or travel question is kind of easy. Like a, hey, are you located in New York City? Or let's say like you know where they're located. Do you have any restaurant recommendations in Phoenix? Something like that. You know, just something open-ended that's kind of universal that, again, the idea is you want to get conversation going. I hope that's helpful. Um, if you do slide into DMs, please, please, please update us. The flushers want to know what's happening. Um, just a reminder, if you have any questions, you can always DM them. You can email theblushpod at gmail.com. If you want to submit anonymously, you can go to the website to do so. You can leave a voicemail via the link in the show notes of this episode submit questions. I love doing these, would love to do more of them. And if you submitted a question that was answered today, um, send an update. Okay. Before I wrap up, I just want to introduce maybe one challenge. This is something that I've been doing and it's affected my life so much. So I just want to challenge the listeners to do this for one month. Don't check something. Now something is open-ended and it, it just depends on what you, where you are in your life. So if it's someone who's like gone through a breakup, don't check up on your ex-lover. If it's someone who's, you stop being friends with someone, don't check up on your ex-friend. Um, you know, don't check how many people liked your posts on Instagram, how many people or who is looking at your Instagram stories. So if you're someone who posts regularly to Instagram stories and you check all the time to see who's looking, I challenge you for one month, don't check to see who's looking. Whatever it may be for you, figure out the one thing that you're kind of caught up in in some way and make an intention to not check it for one month. Okay, that's it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Love you guys so much. I love that I get to do this. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by leaving a five-star review, um, sharing this episode with friends. You know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe. Love you guys. See you next week. <laughs>